I just got this image of a knight going, oh, I'm going to go and get something from the fridge. And there's like a knight scale fridge. <laughs> episode 32 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive autogate podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined once again by Mr. Daniel Foley. Hello. And Mr. Dave Barker. Hey Dan, hey Tony, hey listeners. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at NarrativeWarGamer. You can also contact us via email at NarrativeWarGamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do so by visiting the awesome folks over at Elman Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So, welcome back, Dan. Hello. It's been a little while since we've had you on the show, but we're more than happy to have you back. I'm very pleased to be here. Um, it's uh, it's yeah, it's been a really long time, but uh, I'm ready to uh, talk some 40k. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, we might be able to see you um, joining us a little more regularly again moving forwards. Hopefully, uh, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, you've uh, you've been a bit preoccupied um, recently, haven't you? And uh, this is one of your first chances, really, now to sort of get back out there and engage with the hobby again, isn't it? Yes, definitely. I've been uh, very busy with the whole COVID thing going on, so uh, it's been good to just sit down and uh, chat with you guys. Well, you picked a great episode to come back. <laughs> I'm looking um, forward to it. He, he says that. I've done one of these before, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you have done nothing but moaning about it. <laughs> it, it was it was just challenging. <laughs> Dave just doesn't like how convincingly I create false facts about the 40k universe. That's what it is. He, needs no, to... he should be scriptwriter or something. Copywriter. You need to, to swap up more, Dave. You just need to swap up. You need to sit there with your rogue trader and just sit there and absorb. Oh, I doubt I could pull yeah. the wool over Dave's eyes if it came to anything from rogue trader law. I'm sure he'd uh, <laughs> outshine me there. Yeah, actually, Dan did try this once during lockdown. Uh, we, uh, early lockdown when we had a, an old school quiz and I did I did max out the points in the in the uh, rogue trader section right then. Yeah, I was most disappointed. I really tried hard. I looked through all D, was it D D one hundred or D one thousand yeah. charts and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I even knew what the, the chief rank of the, the the highest rank of the the chief's land was. <laughs> the um the the go to challenge question that I always sort of like know of is um in that kind of way where 
Americans often say, like, try and name all 50 states or whatever off the top of your head without looking it up, and, they, and you always struggle to quite get the last couple. Mm-hmm. I think the 40k equivalent of that is um, naming all the original Space Marine Legions, Primarchs, Homeworlds, and if possible, yeah. the Legion numbers. Good <laughs> question, that. Yeah. Because in theory, it's quite commonplace knowledge to know all the legions, their leaders, where they're from and the the order of the foundings but to actually know it all and remember it all is the challenge See, I, they're, I, they're, go on, sorry Dave they're all Alpharius and they're all 20th legion <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I'd be alright with the, the legion, uh, I think I'd be alright with the names the primarchs, what I would struggle with and the homeworlds I'd be alright with but the numbers would be the ones I'd struggle with because I can't remember any numbers of any way any kind at all so I even find it hard to find my way home sometimes so uh, what door number am I on but yes but that is not quite the questions I'll be posing tonight Instead, they'll be closer to the uh, the forty first millennium in nature. But yes, um, so for those who haven't already, I guess, read the sh- the title of the show, uh, this is going to be our forty k fun facts Warzone Charadon part two, and hopefully, will be the bookend to the sort of end of all of the Warzone Charadon content because we've basically gone through all of it now. <laughs> <laughs> multiple books and white dwarfs and crusade mission packs and everything else we've spent a good old time in charadon and uh, this is going to be bringing it all neatly to a close i feel roll on octarius yes roll on octarius indeed i'm getting very excited for octarius now and uh, i'm looking forward to it and we get to do it all again <laughs> but yes we'll um We'll be diving into the the law and the narrative events that um, come up in the Book of Fire, and I'll be posing a selection of interesting 40k facts, and you, Dan and Dave, are going to have the fun task of trying to work out which of them are true and which are false. Okay. And we're also going to arbitrarily apply scores to it as well, so we'll Brilliant. see who, who knows their fake 40k law the best. <laughs> I'm actually genuinely feeling quite nervous now. Um. <laughs> it's fun. Dave, Dave uh, like, likes to bemusingly be bemoan about it, but he enjoys it, really. Oh, yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun talking. I, uh, I'm just not confident in my ability to uh, to answer them correctly. I think you've got a good chance, Dan. We'll see. But before we get to that, we are going to have a quick catch-up with our paint station garrisons and see what it is we've all been up to recently and I'm sure as always Dave probably has a ton of stuff I probably have the same things I've always been working on and I'm sure Dan equally probably is going to show me up with the amount of stuff you've been working on since you were last on the show well since he was last on the show I mean that was that <laughs> 18 months <laughs> I've gone through three armies mate that's it <laughs> well I'm sure you can pick some highlights out um, so yeah, we'll be we'll be back with that in a second, guys. And we're back, guys. So I think it's only fair that we start with Dan, as uh, it's been a while since you've been able to tell us what you've been up to in your hobbying time. So uh, take it away. What have you 
been working yeah, on. I, w I won't go back as far as, uh, as, as as 18 months, but I have been working on um, several projects, actually. Uh, the first one, um, which is kind of a, a secret project that I'm trying to keep hidden, uh, which now I'm telling you the name of what I'm doing kind of defeats the object of it being a secret project. Platform. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I'm trying to complete <laughs> a, um, a Space Wolf Primaris army, um, but converting every single model to have wolf cloaks and wolf bits and wolfy wolfness on it. And, and I'm really pleased because I've managed to get the, the sort of baby blue grey absolutely spot on on the on the paint job which is quite hard to do i don't know if i don't know if anyone has the same problem has anyone ever tried to try and replicate this sort of baby blue space wolf thing because it's not easy no, I'll, <laughs> I'll be looking for a recipe when i see you at the club because that's one of my future goals is a space wolf army in that kind of color yeah i've not done it myself but i appreciate it's like treading a line between blue and gray it's not quite either one of those colours really is it it's a little yeah, bit of both because the GW paints don't actually match what they use on or what it looks like they, they use which oh, even back in the day they always I always seem to think either they go people go too too grey like heresy colours or, or it ends up looking like the inside of I don't know some sort of sky scenery or, um, on, on the, like, <laughs> I don't know how the, best to describe a, it some sort. a sun bleached ultramarine that's been left <laughs> yeah, behind yeah, yeah. for too long yeah it's, it, it just looks um, too, too garish um, so that's one thing and then my second uh, army that I've been working on which I'm really smugly pleased about is a second edition ultramarines army which I'm taking to a ninth ed tournament um, which I cannot wait to do because I just want to see people's reactions when I turn up with a metal dreadnought and an old school land speeder with red guns. They've all got red guns. <laughs> it's the only way. Do they, yeah. the all important question though, do they have goblin green bases? They do. They do. And flock. Yep. They've got the works. They've got the goblin green bases. They've got the flock. Um, they've got, the got They have got all the bat banners. I've hand painted all the bat banners. Um, uh, I've got some base adapters from eBay, so they're going to be base regularized size. But I just like the idea of here's my army, there's your grim dark army, here's my primary color army. It's wonderful. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to that. I don't know how what reactions I'll get or whether it will be positive or negative, but I'm really going to enjoy I, it. I feel. I think you'll get a pretty positive reaction. I, mean, I recently took my uh, Rainbow Warriors army, including some. Uh, the old RTBO ones to a tournament, a small tournament to Saffron Walden uh, in Essex, and um, yeah, I got a lot, of, lot of positive feedback there. And I've had that same army, as you know, we went together to uh, uh, Warhammer World, and uh, I think it probably annoyed you and some of the others how much attention my <laughs> least well-paid army on the table was compared yeah. to your three much better painted armies. <laughs> what, no, I think what annoyed me is half of your army. We didn't have to pay to go into the exhibit because half of your army was in the <laughs> exhibition hall because it's that old. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> hey, what's, what's it going to be like when uh, we all do eventually meet up for a, like, a narrative war game and gathering at Warhammer World and we're going to have our selections of various armies there. Can you see Dan's, uh, Dave's Rainbow Warriors next to your second dead Ultramarines. Well, I mean, yeah, I, 
I think it's going to be uh, interesting. I need to have a we need to have a, ge a, a game, Dave, with with the sort yeah. of old Crew. school stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think we really should. It's a shame um, I don't. I don't really have any like proper proper old school stuff. I just have a lot of orcs. Uh, well, my next door neighbor. Funny you should say. Actually, my next door neighbor. He also has a, an orc. Um, uh, an orc second ed army um, and he scratch built do you remember the old sort of adobe buildings that you, you used to see in, yeah. in yeah he scratch built some of those and he brings them over and we play some second ed stuff um, but it's fantastic just seeing all the old uh, battle wagons and gob smashers and also I think he built scratch but he scratch builds a load of stuff um, but that's good fun to see um but yeah, you should you should get what what army um, Tony would you get if you if you could go and get some of the old school stuff? What would you go for? Ooh, that's a good question. I've not really thought about that. Um, I'd always be tempted maybe to say Sisters of Battle, mm -hmm. like you know their original cast. I mean, I believe they're like third edition, aren't they? Really? No, 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 the second no, edition. Second. Yep, yeah, that was the. I, I got all the codexes. That was the hardest to track down. <laughs> but yeah, the um, little conversion bits on the rhinos and yeah. the. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, I think maybe some sort of classics. This is about would be quite nice to, to sort of have and to own. Um, yeah, but I think that's what I'd probably go for. Either that, that or um, I mean, it's not old, old, but um, I'd quite like a Bostrian guard army. That I do like. Can you still get? Them? No, you can't still get them. No, they did have them for a while. They made a, a made to order a couple of years ago, didn't they? Yeah, I remember now. They, yeah. Um. So apart from that, that's what I've been painting. Really, just lots <laughs> and lots of different things. More guard, more second ed stuff. Loads of stuff. I could go on. Nurgle, all sorts. Very <laughs> good. How, um, how about yourself, Dave? What have you been working on recently? Yeah, uh, I've not done a PlayStation Garrison for a couple of months, but <clears throat> a lot of my, my painting recently has not been uh, 40k, although it has been narrative, like I mentioned before. I got a little bit into Stargrave, uh, which is uh, an Osprey Games narrative game, small crew skirmish stuff. So uh, I painted another crew for that recently, a Victorian science fiction crew. Um, painted some customs inspectors as sort of a gang to go up against. Some five custom inspectors, quite nice sculpts from Heresy Miniatures, which I rather like. And then just some more random stuff, uh, stuff that could be used for Stargrave or maybe anything. So six giant rats and five weir rats, um, which are bizarre, bizarrely comical little things. Uh, a couple of dwarf slayers uh, from uh, from Fenris Games. Uh, which, uh, I can only imagine that a weir rat looks a little bit like a Skaven. Yeah, yeah, it does look a lot like a Skaven, that's true. I'll. Uh, um, yeah, maybe I'll post a picture on the group so that people have got a reference for it when they <laughs> when they uh, when they get around to listening to this episode. Um, and then a few other things, some big uh, woolly mammoth type alien things like banthers from, from Star Trek, Star Wars. I did three of those and some giant apes and uh, yeah, that kind of fun. Uh, I'm painting some uh, some space uh, anthropomorphic space dog type things called Bargar. From, from Traveller at the moment, so another sci-fi gig. But I'm also, right now, I'm actually painting uh, five Deathwater Soul Marines and a, a Rainbow Warrior Primaries chaplain on a bike. So I've, I've gone back to 40k after a little break elsewhere. 
I'm sure you'll power through plenty in the next couple of weeks and then you'll take another little break and you'll have somehow still got another whole company of Space Marines done. Yeah. As you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, whereas myself, I don't know how up to date you are, Dan, with my current projects, but I'm continuing to work on my lovely, lovely Lamentis commission. Yeah, I saw them and just I didn't know whether to go wow or you poor, poor man. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of both, but the funny thing yeah. is. I'm really enjoyed it because they're, they're actually a chapter that I kind of always fancied having a go at painting. I've said it before, and um, I've, I've never been one fussed for owning Space Marine Army myself, but now I've had the opportunity to paint some Lamentors, and I've still got more on the way. Um, so yeah, I've, I've recently finished up the two three-man squads of um, Inceptors, so I've got all six of those done. And I'm now just sort of starting work on the squad of Outriders. I Which saw those. Oh, sorry, I saw those to, today um, on your Instagram. So they look very nice. I like the way you've subassembled them because I've got some of my own. I was thinking, oh, that's a good way of painting them. <laughs> yeah. It, so I'd heard about the way they go together before on like social media and stuff. How obviously like the legs, um, literally from like the hip joints down, are, they're part of the like outer panels of the bike as opposed to being like a guy you build up and then sit in the seat um so i sort of i, I put it together as a sub-assembly in effectively four pieces which is like the main body of the bike um and then the two side panels that sort of like clip in on each side which includes the legs of the marine and then the torso of the marine up um What's actually quite nice about these ones is that the chapter shoulder badge, or rather that the, the left-hand pauldron, is actually quite nicely um, exposed. It, it's not... Sometimes their arms are held at angles or whatever, they just make the, um, the shoulder pad a little awkward to get into, but actually on these ones I'm not bothering to do them separately to do the chapter badge, even though it's a Lamenters one. Like, I can, I mean, I can just do it as is. Um... But yeah, they're, um, I'm, I haven't got the full first one put together yet. I just need to do the edge highlighting and then I can put the pieces together to work out which parts I don't need to bother painting on the following two because they'll be hidden. Um, but so far, it's uh, I think it's, like you say, the parts I've got it broken down into feel quite nice. Like I've got a good point yeah. of access to it all, but it doesn't feel like I've gone overboard with too many pieces to the sub-assembly um, so they're going to be interesting and I'm looking forward to deciding how to do the like chapter badge on the side of the bike because looking at most outriders and the way they're done in like both the official photography and the way a lot of hobbyists themselves choose to do it is they're having you know the big chapter badge on the side of the bike as well but having the checkered like background I don't know whether I'll do that or not, or if I do it as a strip, or if it, the heart's just in the circle. It's a Primaris bike, right? It is, yeah, it's the Primaris bikes, yeah. So are you going to set that, uh, just that side panel and put the checkerboard on the heart over the top? Is I can't remember on the regular bikes, is there something on there? I'm looking at a Chaplin bike at the moment. <laughs> not sure about the Chaplin, but like the, like the Ultramarines ones on the box art and stuff, they just have the U 
you know, okay. just on just on the side of the yeah. um, the bike. I've seen. Um, I think it was actually um, Quips to Nerds um, recently done some Imperial Fist ones over on his Instagram, um, and he had um, just obviously like you know the Imperial Fist logo, just you know nice round yep. circle field with the fist on it. Works nicely. I just don't know if a Lamentous Heart by itself without a checkerboard somehow integrated would look right or not. I don't know how difficult be, yeah, but it would be to do, but it would look quite good if you could do a circle with a checkerboard inside it and then the hot on top. Does that make sense? So like, just like with a black board around the outside of it, possibly? A bit like the yeah, um, Imperial Fist Fist, sometimes? Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, I could give that a try. Like I say, I think I'm going to have to experiment with it and um, see how I feel, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to doing it either way. I've also got um, a Rhino to do at some point for that commission as well. So that's going to be the first full-size vehicle for it that I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to integrate the checker pattern somewhere on the panels and that thing. So I'll probably do a little bit of Instagram research to see what other people have done. Vehicles? Yeah. That's something else from my paint station garrison, damn, that I forgot about. <laughs> You've been doing more. Oh, yeah. I just remembered. <laughs> I sent down a photo in the week. I've started painting uh, 15 lemon roses. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and not epic scale. <laughs> yeah, you sent me that picture as well. You, like, Still, just, but... Oh, just casually working on this as a side project. Just an entire yeah. tank company and a half. <laughs> yeah. Um, get back to my airbushing skills. So there we go. Sorry, I meant to mention that. I completely forgot. And when you said you're painting a Lamentus vehicle, that reminded me. Whereas, for me, I've still got that burner bomber to finish. It's not even done yet. It's it's been played in the game now, <laughs> but it's so nearly there because it's. I've just got the main body of the aircraft left, and I just need to do washers, transfers, and weathering, and that's it. But I just need to find the time to do it, and then that'll be done. And then somewhere in there as well, I need to find time to squeeze in um, painting up two wild runners and a fear cat for my Escher gang because uh, next month I'm attending a Necromunda event with uh, some city radio and I need them done for that. So, <laughs> where's that going to be? Is that local again? You went to one before lockdown, right? Yeah, so pre-lockdown was one in um, sort of like Huddersfield, which was sort of relatively local to me in the Leeds area, but. This is actually, um, it's near Derby, so it's just a little bit north of Nottingham. Um, oh, it's it's at... I was going to hmm? say, it's not in an, an old church, is it? Because I've been, I'm thinking the one it's been to. I don't believe it's an old church, but it's um, it's a place called Tabletop Events. Um, I know that actually this is the venue that's just recently started hosting the monthly DZTV event days on Saturdays. So if any okay. of you follow or are aware of Deployment Zone TV, um, it's the venue that they use on a regular monthly basis now. Um, so Liam and Winters have been hosting some stuff there, and uh, funnily enough, Steve from SubCity is going to be hosting um, SumpCon, the first annual SubCity gathering. SumpCon, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I've not been able to go to that, but it does sound interesting. I've been reading about it and listening to it on the uh, on the old pod, the other podcasts that we listen to. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun, and I'll probably be reporting back a little bit on it once I've been, because uh, I'm, I'm sure regular listeners know I am also uh, somewhat a Necromunda fan and <laughs> semi-expert. Um, in fact, I'm wearing my Escher t-shirt at the moment, thinking about it. 
Yeah, for those that don't know, even though Tony runs this narrative wargaming podcast, he's actually the uh, rules lawyer on Sum City Radio. <laughs> I'm not the rules lawyer, I'm just an es- Escher enthusiast and propagandist. <laughs> <laughs> Who works out the kinky kinky ways that they combine the rules together to screw over the other gangs. Just because all the missions in this event uh, use five to eight ganger limits per mission does not mean that is why I have chosen to include four exotic pets as part of my list because they get to accompany their owners as part of crew numbers. (laughs) So no, it's not at all the case that I'm showing up to a five-man crew mission with effectively nine fighters. <laughs> Not at all. And, and you're listening to narrative uh, yeah. game. <laughs> Eshers like their exotic beasts. It is, it is the whole one, one whole side of the gang, and I've not had a chance to give them a whirl yet because, unfortunately, the House of Blades stuff released in the sort of COVID times. Yeah. So I've not had a chance to bring all my pet rats and lizards and cats and all sorts. So I'm gonna. I think I made him defensive, Dan. Sorry, oh, Tony. A little, little bit. <laughs> right. With that, let's move on. <laughs> so yeah, that's everything we've been working on. I'm going to be working on. So let's uh, let's jump over now to our latest 40k fun facts. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. You kids listen up now, and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative Wah Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions, specialising in good quality, Army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you kids. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paintball. It better be ready and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them RedTube sent you. You might get some extra special. And we are back, guys, for what I think is quickly becoming one of my favourite segments on the show. And that is the 40k Fun Facts Quiz. Yay! Yep, Dave, you've had the 
the, the fun time of experiencing this before with the Book of Rust. Yep. But Dan, this is your first time on the quiz, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying I'm ultra competitive, but I'm ultra competitive and I'm raring to go and Dave's going down. <laughs> well, can you give me a quick recap at all about the events that went on in Charadon in the Book of Rust, or do you know the sort of general gist? Nope. <laughs> Which one's Book of Rust? That's the death card, right? It's a good yeah. start. <laughs> well, so... To sort of just recap then for anyone listening who didn't catch the previous show or generally um, sort of is up to date on the setting with Warzone and Charadon. Basically, um, the Book of Rust was all about the invasion of um, Typhus's Death Guard forces and all the other various chaos factions he rallied to his banner um, to basically besiege the worlds around Fordrill and Metallica. And the events of the Book of Rust basically led up to the start of the invasion of Metallica itself and the Book of Fire as we're gonna sort of go over is basically about the arrival of the Imperial reinforcements you know sort of like the inevitable retribution that the Imperial War Machine finally brings to bear and um, Typhus's actual assault on Metallica um, as well as some shenanigans that Bellicott was up to <laughs> Uh, and it's basically sort of about the the wrapping up now of this um, invasion and Typhus achieving his um, sort of ultimate goal on Metallica before attempting to escape again before you know the Imperial forces are basically able to um, resecure the sector and force him out. So it's kind of a, it's kind of the usual sort of 40k status quo situation where there's been a big conflict and a big fight and now things are sort of returning to, well, Charadon is, you know, burnt and damaged and broken, but it's still there, it's still standing just about. <laughs> um, I will say there are a few interesting points that will come up in this quiz that actually, I think, are quite impactful in ways they aren't typically so. Um, but that's sort of where we're at with this. The whole Book of Fire is that uh, Imperial force, uh, relief force arriving, Typhus making his last ditch, uh, last ditch effort to sort of um, besiege Metallica. Does that give you a general sort of catch up, Dan? That does. I feel very caught up, and um, yeah, that's it. I'm ready to go. So. Uh, the premise of this will be that, that I think there's we've got four rounds of questions um, for this quiz, um, each one based on a sort of you know like section of the lore and the events that go on. Um, we do have the return of the name game round, which was yeah. uh, Dave's favourite from last time. Can Tony find the same random name generator that Games Workshop themselves use? <laughs> Not quite. I had to be more inventive for it this time around, um, and you'll see why when we get to it. Um, but each question, I'm going to obviously give a little rundown of a bit of snippet of the uh, lore and the events that's happened, and then I'm going to give you a multi-choice selection for which of these facts is true and which I've made up. <laughs> um, so, we will start with round one, which I've aptly named Bellacore's Side Quest. <laughs> 
because essentially that's what this is. So um, the main arc of the story is all about Typhus and his Nurgle invasion force. Um, but as an aside to that, he had some word bearer and Alpha Legion allies, which were uh, originally intended to keep House Raven occupied so that the Knights of House Raven didn't leave their home world or their home sector too much and basically gain Typhus's way. Of course, Chaos being Chaos, they did basically not that and instead were more than happy for House Raven to sally forth because they were busy um, completing their own agendas, which turns out was basically to summon Bellacor. You know, they were the disciples of Bellacor, as per the army of renown <laughs> that's covered in the book. Um, and Bellacor's whole deal is basically got nothing to do with supporting Typhus at all. He's just following his own agenda and doing his own things. This whole section, this whole first round, is going to be about everything that Bellacor got up to in the Book of Fire. Okay. So I'm guessing it's not going for a pint of milk or anything like that. I'm guessing it's quite... Dan, how did you know that Pint of Milk is Bellacor's real demon name? <laughs> Only the true disciples get initiated with that knowledge. <laughs> Anyways, on to Bellacor's side quest. Round one, question one. So this will be a good little intro for you, Dan, and we're going to keep scores we go, and let's see how you both do. So, after claiming the Stygian Temple... The alliance of wordbearers, alpha legionnaires, known as the Disciples, sacrificed a gene-stealer cult patriarch in order to summon Bellacor and gain his favour. He then bid the Disciples depart the temple and travel to where to further enact his will. Your choices are A. Forge World Metallica B. Colossi, homeworld of House Raven or C, the ocean world of Fathom. I remember Fathom from last time, right? Fathom is one of the reoccurring narrative like, key yeah, points locations. in the books, because it is the uh, ocean we, world. We reviewed some war zones based on Fathom, didn't yeah. we? It is indeed, yes, and it's the one where the fancy sculpted board for a lot of the photography for the Charidon yeah. and stuff has been um, based on, where it's the oil rigs above the surface of the water. Yeah. See, I'm wondering, is this a trick question where the obvious answer would be the Forge World, or is actually, I want to go Fathom. I, I want to go Fathom. Well, I, I don't think it's the Forge World because that's what um, the Death Guard wants, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, what was the other option that's not Fathom? House Raven. Homeworld of the Nightly House. Of House Raven. Right. Well, if you're going for Fathom, uh, Dan, I'll go for House Raven anyway. Even though I think it's wrong. <laughs> so, Dan, would you like to know how your competitive streak is getting off the mark? Uh, probably not very well. Um, not very I'm... well, because Dave has got it right. It is Colossi, <laughs> homeworld of House Raven. <laughs> Even though I thought I was going to be wrong. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. It's all right. It's a fix. <laughs> well, turns out Bellocor has beef with House Raven it would seem so as we now know that question 2 upon the world of Colossi the indomitable fortress of House Raven is known as the Keep in Violet 
a fortress so large it is only surpassed in size by the Imperial Palace itself and the Fang on Fenris. As befitting of such a vast fortification, which of the following facts is true? A. Its topmost pennants and banners drift in the void of space itself. B. Everything is built to scale for an Imperial Knight, as if it was a regular man. Or C. There is a complete Imperial Hive City built within the walls of the Keep. I just got this image of a knight going, oh, I'm going to go and get something from the fridge. And there's like a knight scale fridge. (laughs) I got a a vision of a whole regiment of Skitari settling down in the same bed for the night. (laughs) Well, if nothing else, I hope this question sets the tone for the quiz. What's on the television, my dear? Oh, well, let me sit down. This massive knight sits down on a, a knight-sized sofa, watching his knight-sized television. That just sounds amazing. I kind of want that to be true. I don't think it is, <laughs> but I really kind of want that to be knight true. Rider. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. There you go. Oh, I forgot what the other choices were. <laughs> that tickled me, that one. Um, uh, I'll go with the uh, the flags, the pennants see, at the very top uh, drift in, in the void. Yeah, I want to go with that one. Except they wouldn't drift in the void because there's no area in space, or am I reading way too much into that? You've read too many conspiracy theories, mate. Yeah. I'm going with the flags. You're both going with the flags. We're both going with the flags. You, you don't think my uh, concept of a... <laughs> Imperial knight scaled fortress could possibly be an actual 40k thing. No, I believe it could actually be a possible 40k thing. I just don't think it is this time. Fair enough. Well, you are both correct. It is that, in fact, it's that tall. Some of its topmost pennants and banners actually drift in space. They are above the atmosphere. I'm, I'm really sad that it's not knight scaled fortress now. Well, it can be an ex-conversion project then. Yeah. It's funny because this is somewhat um, a little bit of what other Dan's complaints were. He liked too many of my false answers and he's like, I just want these to be true. (laughs) (laughs) So, question three. Due to Typhus's invasion of the Charadon sector, only roughly one-fifth of House Raven's forces remained stationed on Colossi when Bellicor began his invasion. And as such, they were woefully unprepared for the insidious means by which Bellicor began his offensive against the planet. But which of these was Bellicor's first act against Colossi? Was it A, he had Alpha Legionnaires infiltrate the Keep in Violet? B, he used his sorcery to extend the length of the knights on the planet? Knights as in no K, <laughs> night and day. <laughs> I'm sure, sure, the, sure these war machines were three metres shorter yesterday. <laughs> now they don't fit any of the, the building because the building's too small. We're going to have to make it bigger, mate. Which, uh, we'll These expand. are hanging off the end of the bed. <laughs> or C, he summoned a permanent eclipse of the sun above the world. See that—that that just sounds 
annoying. It's not very chaotic, is it? It's just sort of... Oh, I'm going to make it nighttime forever. Oh, thanks. Mind you, that sounds like a bellical thing to do, isn't it? He's kind of one of those demon princes that turns up and goes, I'm not really going to do anything bad. I'm just going to annoy you. He is the Lord of Shadows. Yeah. The dark I'm going to go with that one. I'm going to go with the Eclipse. And I'm going to go with Alpha Legion. I can tell you it is, in fact, B. He used his sorcery to extend the length of the nights on the planet. <laughs> okay. Nights with no K, fortunately. Because he's such an evil, evil man. Or demon. Oh yeah, in, in fact, um, after 24 cycles, the daylight barely returned to the planet, and soon after, the planet was cast into perpetual, unending night. The only place not affected by the curse was the Keeping Violet itself. A ploy by Bellacor deliberately intended to turn the population against an ability who was seemingly spared the same suffering. So he's literally made it so that only the only the poor population that aren't the knights themselves have to suffer like this and hence building that resentment to why the why did the nobles once again get to live it better than us that's kind of cool yeah although i prefer the true scale knights yeah I, <laughs> that are then distorted to not be true scale and then thus ruin their <laughs> carefully planned out fortress i am actually gonna have to make a confession now because i i got so up uh, I, I found the, the idea of knights growing three extra feet so appealing that I forgot that was the actual meaning of the word. No, I thought it was. I thought it was actually he extended the knights. Uh, <laughs> that's why I didn't pick that one because I just like the idea of knights growing. <laughs> Dan, you're losing your competitive I know. Edge. Oh. I find it hilarious. I, I think it's funny that you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't like concentrate because you just finally get that absurd. <laughs> Good, that's what I want from this. Mm. And that's just that's how absurd the 40k universe is. Um, so, question four: As the perpetual night took hold, how did the imperial authorities respond to the new sinister curse? Did they a begin burning heretics and drowning caged witches to lift the curse? Did they B enforce mandatory lumen globes to be worn by all citizens at all times? Or C did they take the opportunity to extend citizen curfews to match the greatly reduced daylight hours? Hmm. I mean citizen curfews would be they did stop the world being productive. I'm I'm gonna go with lumen globes because that sounds very sort of, you must wear lights all the time. Yeah, and Burn the Witch is very 40k, so I think I'll, I'll go with the uh, killing heretics and burning witches or, or whatever whatever that option was. Burning witches and uh, burning heretics and drowning witches. Yep. And you're going for Looming Globes, Dad. Yeah, I'm going for Looming Globes just because I like the idea that all their citizens have to wear some sort of light bulb jewelry <laughs> yeah I, I i really liked this idea as well the, the the concept of sort of like a really depressing like government enforced rave where all the citizens are having to wear like glow sticks <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, as I said, Bellicor is not evil. He's just really inconsiderate. He's just he's just really annoying. He just goes and goes, oh, I'm just going to make it perpetually dark. <laughs> Great, thanks. He's wow. not a demon. He's just a very naughty boy. He is. Well, you see, I liked it that much. I made it up. Oh, <laughs> no. It is, in fact, A, they started burning heretics and drowning caged witches in chemical sump fats in order to try and appease the Omnissiah to lift the curse that had befallen their world. I'm not doing very well, Dave. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's, the, it's like, you know, there's a, a crisis in the international scene, what's the first thing the British do? Send an aircraft carrier to the coast of France just in case. It's that kind of response in the 40k universe, isn't it? It really is. It's kind of like this highly advanced technological world that's home of an entire like night household all the rest of it. And their first response to it getting dark at night too much is quick, drown the witches. <laughs> That'll raise... You described it as they started drowning the caged witches. Does that mean they had witches ready caged, caged. ready for drowning? <laughs> It's waiting to be pickled. It's yeah, it's a yeah. bit like yeah, I suppose it's like pre-dried fruit, isn't it? You've got like does that mean they're vacuum sealed? They just open the seal and here's your witch, Bona. There you go. Quick hydrating case of <laughs> yeah, yeah, hydrate it. Dunk her in the water. That's that's what it is. <laughs> uh, but uh, in fact. Uh, in addition to this, several House Raven nobles declared quests to go discover the source of the disturbance and bring an end to it, and thus they departed the world, taking many of their household retainers with them. So they were so glory bound that they were basically abandoning their posts in order to go look for this, you know, um, evil source of the disturbance so they could destroy it and return, you know, mighty heroes. Which, of course, was in fact just weakening their defence because more of their <laughs> um, garrison was leaving. Question five. Before long, reports of nightmare creatures stalking the darkness and preying on victims in the night became rampant. The nobles began evacuating the cities of Colossi and offering sanctuary to the refugees within the walls of the keep in Violet itself. Hidden amongst these refugees, however, were many of Bellicor's agents and corrupted machine priests. Once inside the keep, how did these agents disrupt the forces of House Raven? Was it A, they assassinated any nobles and night pilots that they could? B, they began rituals to invite demonic possession of the refugees within the keep? Or C, they infected several knights with dormant scrap code and flesh metal demon parasites. Well, that's a tricky one. See, I... These are very good questions. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> all of those could be... I mean... I think the scrap code one sounds... That either the assassinate and the pilots or the scrap code sounds right. Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the, the, the scrap code. I'm gonna go with the scrap code, I think, Dave. What the scrap code do? is the most appealing and the most logical after smuggling in uh, you know, uh to tech base, which is why I'm gonna go for demon summoning. <laughs> because uh, it's forty yeah, K. And it's not entirely logical. 
Well, I can tell you on this occasion, Dan got it right. They did in Wait. fact infect several knights with dormant scrap code. Going down, Dave. <laughs> the fight back. You're catching, happens you're now. catching up, Dan. Yeah, the, the, the fight back <laughs> happens today. Well, speaking of the fight back, question six. Once Bellacor's demonic legions emerged from the darkness and the siege began in full, the knights rallied behind their commanding noble Sir Havlorn. However, disaster struck during his address to his warriors. What was it? Was it A? Corrupted machine priests overloaded the reactor of Sir Havlorn's knight, causing it to explode and killing Sir Havlorn instantly. B. The scrap code corrupted knights opened fire on their fellows, killing Sir Havlorn instantly, and half the remaining loyalist knights. Or C. Bellacor himself emerged from the darkness to descend upon the gathered knights, killing Sir Havlorn instantly. So he's definitely dead, right? <laughs> he is definitely dead. It did not go well for Sir Havlorn. Dave, he's dead. He's dead, Dave. What about Sir, ha what about Sir Havlorn? <laughs> he's dead, Dave. He's dead. What, all of them? He's dead, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with the scrap code because I feel like Bellicor jumping out of the shadows because considering he's the master of like you know deceit and sort of ooh, which is a proper chaos title um, <laughs> I reckon the scrap code is the reason because that makes sense so what do you think, Dave? No, you see, given that he's a master of deceit and he's already done the scrap code thing once, I think he jumped out of a giant birthday cake and killed them all. And like went, in, in under stage. Yeah. Was that a birthday cake to scale for knights? And that's why Bellicor can <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Massive candles. <laughs> Stop it's it. Not a candle. That's a plasma candle. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do, you think, do you think they they got one of those sparklers on top as well? It's just like <laughs> <laughs> they just had some of those comedy candles. Even <laughs> yeah, the night keeps blowing out; just keeps relighting. Yeah. Oh, for goodness' sake! Who ordered these? <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut the cake. <laughs> Chainsaw through the middle of it. <laughs> Uh, I don't think there was actually a cake in your answers, was there, Tony? No. So, so what are we going for then? So is Dave going for Bellator <laughs> surprises him? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Dad, you're going for the scrap code night to I, open I fire am. on their fellows. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, Dan, you are right. <laughs> and that means you draw even with Dave again in the scoreboard. So, oh. yes. Amen. Oh, come on! <laughs> it was the case that the scrap code infected knights opened fire um, upon the gathered knights, including um, a point-blank like, melter cannon shot, just eradicating Sir Havlorn's knight and like, melting him instantly. <laughs> so yeah, it did not go well for any of them. So the world's wrapped in darkness, half the knights are turning upon each other, all the population is turning to refugees inside the keep and demons are praying at the door. It's not going well on Colossa, is it? No. 
But they have cake, so it's all it's all good. And Luma Globes. <laughs> and, a, and a massive TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, as a vanguard force of Adaptus Sororitas arrived in the system to aid the besieged House Raven, Bellicor enacts his final master plan to seal their fate. As, all, as the all-consuming darkness completely shrouded the surface of Colossi, which of the following happened? Was it A, that the suffocating shadows extinguished all sentient life, leaving the world a deserted husk? B, the keep in violet itself is consumed by immense warp rifts and cast into the warp leaving a continent-sized crater scarring the face of Colossi? Or is it C, the entire planet vanishes from the void, the traitors stealing away the world and all those fighting upon its surface? Oh, that's pretty big. All of those are pretty, like... Mm-hmm. That's... All of those are pretty, like... Haha, no more Metallica. Um... Oh, Dave, I'll let you go first because I've been first loads. I like the continent-sized crater. I think they stole the, uh, what was it, Deep Purple Fortress? The Keep in Violet. That's the one. Um, is that the Warp Storm one? Yeah, so the, the Keep in Violet is consumed by immense warp rifts and cast into the warp, leaving a continent-sized crater scarring the surface of Colossi. So I'm gonna go one up, Dave, and I'm gonna go planet disappears. That's fair enough. So when Dan goes vanish planet, Dave is going vanish keep, effectively. Yeah, because vanishing the whole planet's ridiculous. I can tell you, Dave, that the concept of banishing an entire planet is indeed completely and utterly ridiculous, and that is why that is exactly what happens in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's 40k. <laughs> go big or go home. That's what it is. I, I know right? it's canon with, with things yeah. like Titan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Bellacore literally vanishes the entire planet. It just like pops out of the void, pops out of space, and the uh, this like imperial relief force just is left like dumbfounded. They just don't know what's happened, and <laughs> and like it's that's big. Like in that terms of forty k lord events, right? This isn't even just some random world. This is like the home world of one of the mainline. Um, like chapters of Imperial Knight households House Raven were the ones who got an entire supplement in the previous book and their home quite... world has just disappeared <clears throat> that is quite big I yeah that's like can you imagine if that happened to McCrag <laughs> like how much community like talk and chat there'd be about that you mean like when the turn is destroyed Baal <laughs> Yeah, kind of. 
except that that was in fact the usual sort of 40k status quo maintained conflict <laughs> whereas this actually isn't Bellacore effectively <laughs> wins he sweeps Colossi away and just takes it again though it's it's not very chaotic it's just like aha your planet's gone he's not destroyed it he's just moved it somewhere it's just depends, what it's depends what he's doing <laughs> got your nose <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's like where's it where's it got ah oh. yeah well you tell that to um high princeps lord graven that his entire home world has just disappeared because of course he's busy out crusading to try and beat typhus and relieve metallica so funnily, it, it's quite clever how they've done it because as they said that only a very small portion of House Raven was actually left stationed on the world. Mm. So it's not like House Raven is suddenly a non-playable faction because the majority of his forces are still at large in the galaxy fighting their, you know, crusades and stuff. Do you think he has the same reaction as when you lose your keys? Oh, where did I put it? Where are... Oh, I know I put the planet around here somewhere. It's always in the last sector you look. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, that's that is the majority of Belkor's side quest. Although, funnily enough, there is one bonus question here because all that is relating previously to his sort of like devious plans with Colossi. But interesting piece of tidbit of information relating to Belkor and his machinations at large in the universe was um, in this book, and I thought it would be, make a great question. So, Amongst Bellacor's many schemes and devious plans, he recently aided the warsmith, Shon II of the Iron Warriors, in boarding the Imperial Fist's fortress battleship, the Phalanx, in an attempt to use it to bombard the Imperial Palace on Terra. Ultimately, the attack was unsuccessful, but what happened during the aftermath that may have been Belcor's true goal all along? A. Shon Tu escaped with rare samples of genetic material from the Primarch Roldorn himself. B. The Adaptus Custodes secretly infiltrated hidden operatives on board the Phalanx. Or C. Cypher appeared on board the Phalanx before escaping with a mysterious artifact taken from the chapter vaults. I mean, it's got to be losing parts of Dawn. Dawn's losing parts of himself all over the yeah, place. Yeah, so. I kind of feel like my instant thought before you read out the um, before you read out the statement was his hand's gone missing. He's nicked his hand or something. I think we're agreed on that one. Yeah, too. I think he's, they've lost relics. Well, they've lost relics of Dawn himself. Yeah, there's a fingernail there, you know, eyelash over there. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you're both wrong. Oh. It is, in fact... In fact, go on, I'll, I'll give you a second chance. There will be a point up for grabs here, but let's see which do you think it is. Do you think it's the Custodes secretly infiltrating hidden operatives on both Phalanx, or... Was it Cypher appearing and escaping with a mysterious artifact? Oh, that's the one I meant, actually. I thought the mysterious art... Sorry, I'll go with Cypher, because that was the one I thought you were on about. I thought you were talking about... I thought the mysterious artifact was a bit of Dawn. No, no. uh, Option A was some genetic material. Uh, Well, I'm I'm going with Cypher, because he's a dodgy bloke, isn't he? He's like, oof. 
I can't see how the custodies fit in anyway, but I'll go with that one just to be different. Well, Dan, that, that just means you're wrong on two counts. Oh. <laughs> because it was not Cypher either. Um, it was, in fact, that the Adeptus Custodes secretly infiltrated hidden operatives on board the planet. So how was that Bellicor's plan? Because the whole purpose of this was that the operatives have been planted there in the phalanx so the custodes can keep a closer eye on the chapter commanders the imperial fists in a further escalation of the growing mistrust between the adeptus astartes and the adeptus custodes so aren't aren't the custodes like half as big again as the space yeah i was going to say how they fit in the yellow armor Sergeant, why is that crewman half as big again as a spaceman? <laughs> you recruit, sir. Pay no mind. I mean, I believe it's implied that they are like human operatives in the same way that like the Alpha Legion make use of human operatives. Um, so they're reporting back to their custody overlords. But I also like the idea there's a custode literally like with a mop and bucket just doing some janitorial work, listening in. Um, but yeah, like uh, it's funny, they've been building up this idea that since the Custodes have gone back out into the galaxy now with Gulliman's like, new new edict, um, that they themselves, as like a faction, are becoming ever more active in their mistrust of the Astartes, because they still remember the events of the original heresy. You know, I was going to say, can you blame them? Yeah, they don't <laughs> trust the Astartes, and they still think that they have too much... Uh, freedom and agency in the Imperium when they've you know, proven themselves to not be trustworthy (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's just this it's this interesting little subtone narrative that Gibbs Workshop's been weaving into a few things now and um, yeah, the implications in the Book of Fire are that Bellicor himself has attempted to stoke this mistrust between the two factions Well, it happens in um the War of the Spider as well. Yeah, I believe. It's, it is starting to creep in there as um, something yeah. the Games Workshop keeps revisiting. But as for Bellacor, <laughs> that's uh, that's all his involvement in the Book of Fire. He just basically steals away Corsai. I mean, I say Jost, it's because it's pretty significant actually, but um, he's not involved in the larger conflict with Metallica. However, a certain personality who is, is a one Morven Val, a new high abbotess of the Adaptus Sororitas. And that's because she turns up in a Imperial Retribution fleet. So she actually comes from the Indomitus Crusade, and basically here's to um, not so much free Charadon, but more purge it. <laughs> um, so, moving on to round two. Imperial Retribution. Um, how did Morven Val take precautions to ensure the use of punishingly swift short-range warp jumps did not befall the innumerable risks involved in such manoeuvres. So this is because when she showed up in the sector, they're basically like, oh, oh no, the whole place is on fire. Um, where are the heretics? Take me to the heretics now. Over there? Good. Warp jump. Warp jump again and again and again. Just get me there as quick as possible. I don't care about the risks. So, did she um, safeguard against all the hazards involved in doing so by A, trusting in massed prayer to ensure the Emperor's protection, B, expend the lives of several navigators per jump, or C, 
Did she enforce cryostasis on all non-essential crew in order to limit the risks of demonic possession while in trans uh, while in translation? See, cryostasis doesn't sound very forty k. That's that's too nice. It's, it's it's too it's too. Oh, we don't want anyone to die. That'd be terrible. What what, what will happen? Uh, so uh, I'm counting that one out. It's too nice. Doesn't, doesn't involve a needless waste of human life. Can't yeah, be 40k. Yeah, it can't be 40k. There's no, there's no complete utter disregard from for human life. Um, what were the other two again? The just into pair. See, that sounds very sisters. Or um, she knowingly expended the lives of several navigators in order to make those jumps. And see, that also. Is very sister. Yeah, she wants to value the lives of the navigators being mutants, wouldn't she? No, I, I'm going to go with expended the lives of the navigators because navigators. And I'll go with relies on prayer alone. I can tell you she did indeed trust the mast prayer oh, to ensure the Empress. I knew protection. I should have gone with that one. <coughs> Yes, obviously, being Avatess of the Adaptive Sorota, she didn't believe there would be any repercussions in simply trusting in the Emperor's protection, despite basically throwing the fleet repeatedly in and out of the warp with little more protection than baseline Geller fields. Yeah, it's what the Tau do. Yeah, skipping the warp more than diving. <laughs> how, how did that fourth crusade go for them? <laughs> what fourth crusade? Uh, exp uh, expansion, sorry. We, 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 don't, we don't talk about the fourth expansion. There was no fourth expansion. Everyone knows the Tau numeric system is one, two, three, five. <laughs> it's a private matter. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, next question. Um, how did Marvin, how did Marvin Val's battle fleet respond to any fleeing Imperial Voidcraft that crossed their path? including refugee ships and messengers seeking reinforcements for faltering war zones. Did they A, offer sanctuary, resupply them and induct them into the fleet's growing militia forces? Or B, they were interrogated and then conscripted into the fleet's militia forces? Or C, they were destroyed on site by the fleet for the crime of abandoning the Emperor's courts? C. <laughs> well, given that she's already trusting the Emperor with massive amounts of prayers, I'm actually going to go with uh, B. She she interrogated them and conscripted them. I can tell you, uh, she offered them the Emperor's mercy in that yeah. they were destroyed on site for the crime <laughs> of abandoning the Emperor's cause. C, Dave, there was so much conviction in my answer of C. Because because 40k So <laughs> much conviction more than Val herself would have been yep. proud. Yep. Kill them, kill them all. That that's basically the answer. Well, I think you'll find this next question interesting then. So um basically across the sector, whenever um Marvin Val would arrive at besieged Imperial World seeking Imperial relief, she would often enforce a policy of purgation um, where 
just because the defenders have survived their conflicts of chaos doesn't mean they aren't necessarily tainted because they've been busy fighting chaos. So a lot of the time, she would instigate the um, execution of surviving Imperial forces along with the purging of the heretic forces to ensure the purity of the Imperial worlds. And the she Empire sounds like my kind of girl. So, <clears throat> as part of Morven Val's campaign of purgation across besieged worlds, her forces would cleanse both the heretic invaders and any surviving Imperial defenders to ensure the purging of possible demonic taint. On the industrial world of Laboretum, sisters from the Order of the Bloody Rose were initially opposed in their attempt to carry out this sanction by an Ultramarines task force. How was this disagreement resolved? Was it A. The Ultramarines were convinced to aid the sisters in their purge once the sanction was presented to them bearing the seal of Abbess Morvenval herself? Was it B. The Ultramarines refused to carry out the sanction and departed the world, leaving the sisters to do their bloody work. Or C. The sisters opened fire upon the Ultramarines when they attempted to shield the survivors, before ultimately martyring themselves on the blades of the Astartes in their fanaticism to carry out Val's orders. Yeah, I think it was C, because, I mean, A amounts to, I've got a note from my mum. <laughs> Ah, uh, see, I think the note from the mum is very, very um, ultramarines. No, we're not doing it. No, what we're doing? Oh, it, it's a piece of paper. Oh, all right, then we'll do it. That's that's how I see that. I could be wrong. I'm going with the note from mum. I can't remember what the actual answer is, but I like the the idea. It's a note from mum. And uh, Dave, are you going with the um, which option? Parted on the blades of the ultramarines. Parted. Well, I can tell you that, yes, the Ultramarines are in fact that much sticklers for the rules that when presented with the note from Mom, they aided <laughs> in the sanctions. It just sounded like it just sounded like an Ultramarine thing to do. No, we're not yeah. doing it. No, we're not doing it. Oh, a note. Yeah, it's true. Again, I read this and I thought, oh, wow. Like, this is, it is one of those moments where the Ultramarines are kind of like shown to be the... Um, you know, the enforcers of the imperial law that they yeah. are. You know, it's yeah, like, I forgot that they did level the 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 the, the cities of the Wordbearers' homeworld. Um, yep. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's gonna bug me. Um, Monarch or something like that. Monarchian. Was that? Yeah. I think it was Monarchian. Like but yeah, um, yeah. So you know, you're right. During the heresy, the Ultramarines um, conducted the Emperor's sanction against the Wordbearers, didn't they? So. Yeah, uh, it was in fact the case that the Ultramarines did initially oppose aiding in this sanction. They didn't like the idea of slaughtering the Imperial survivors, but when presented with a piece of paper signed by a High Lord of Terror, they not only didn't stand in the way, they followed the order. <laughs> and they uh, they aided the sisters in their purge of the uh, Such an survivors. Ultramarine thing to do. <laughs> it is, isn't it? So, oh, okay, yeah, sure, if a High Lord says it, then I, I guess Gulliman isn't here to argue the point on our behalf, so, sure. <laughs> Next question. Facing inevitable destruction at the hands of the traitor titans of Legio Morbidus, how did the astropaths of Pharaoh Vigilum give their lives in the aid of the Emperor's cause? 
A, they launched a psychic, a psychic assault against the Titans, hoping to cripple them by destroying the minds of the crew inside their command thrones. B, they projected a devastating enferic disharmony into the heart of the Saw, an attempt to destabilize the growing warp rift. Or C, they projected a psychic beacon into the void with the hope of alerting Mars to the fate of Metallica and the Charadon sector. I'm gonna go C, because astropaths are communicators, not fighters. They're, 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 they're lovers, not fighters. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, and the other options were they assaulted the crews psychically, or they disrupted the warp storm, right? Yes, the storm <coughs> being the um, the great warp rift manifestation that um, Typhus had enacted um, elsewhere in the Charadon sector. Yeah, the warp... The, the, I mean, that, that seems even bigger than sending out a psychic beacon. Let's go for the smaller one, because they're, they're not warriors. Let's do the, the psychic assault on the Titans. So we're going Psychic Assault on the Titans and the Beacon to Mars. Yep. Unfortunately, on this occasion, you're both wrong. They projected a devastating emphatic disharmony. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't guess that I didn't come up with those words myself. <laughs> <laughs> Into the heart of the saw in an attempt to destabilize it. And for all they could tell, it appeared to work. And in the coming days, the saw began to wane. Um, and lost its potency. Yeah, so in fact, um, it was kind of a little bit of both, uh, because their last act of um, blasting out this psychic energy into the void of space uh, did actually cause the astropathic sanctum to detonate in a searing blast of psychic energy, burning away into the void and toppling the traitor titans. So they uh, they, no- they knocked them over with a shockwave as a uh, a side effect is what they were actually attempting to do. Ah, that's why it didn't seem... You know... I don't know what the word is. It kind of sounds very Marvel big blue light in the sky, doesn't it? It is. It it kind of is, yeah. Speaking of big blue light in the sky... On the ocean world of Fathom, Abbas Morven Val corners Akraf Seed who, um, although we didn't mention him directly in the previous Fun Facts episode, he's basically Abaddon's emissary. Um, so he's the representative, representative from Abaddon who is enacting Abaddon's will on his behalf when working with Typhus. So he's been basically running around being all moustache-twirling villain for all of this, but not really doing a great deal other than just um, harassing Imperial worlds. Um, but yeah, so... On the ocean world of Favon, Abbas Marvin Val corners Akaraf Seed, uh, this time hidden in the depths of the vast undersea habitat sprawl known as Omnis. Unwilling to engage with the Imperial forces, how did Val force the megastructure to surface? Did she A. Bombard it from orbit, forcing it to engage its preservation protocols? Or B. Space Marine Terminators teleported on board and battled to reach the override controls. Or C, Val broadcast a message to Omnis, challenging Akravzid to single combat and to face the Emperor's justice. I mean, bombarding the sub-ocean habitat from orbit to make a way it... to defend a that is to 
remove the ocean that's protecting you from orbit between you and... and... (laughs) That doesn't doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. I'm going to shoot the water (laughs) to make you come out of the water, which is protecting you from me shooting you. shooting you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean that's not even 40k silly. It's it's a little absurd, isn't it? Um which makes me think it's the right answer. I I'm drawn to the single combat thing, but I'm gonna I'm go with the terminators. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm gonna go with terminators. Well I'll go with the single combat thing then. Well I can tell you it is in fact that absurd. It's true. No. She bombarded the ocean from orbit because <laughs> she was attempting to force it to be damaged enough that it had to surface. But why? <laughs> it makes no sense. I think the idea is that obviously she knew roughly its location, not enough to be able to just target it and destroy it. But if she just saturated the area, it would be damaged enough that it would have to reveal itself. Right, so she was playing a massive game of battleships. Or Minesweeper. Or Minesweeper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that was that's hilarious. Or well, that episode of Star Trek when the fire fought up torpedoes at a clock's wrong alien ship. Wow. Once forced to surface and facing direct Imperial assault by overwhelming numbers. Akaraf Zed attempts another daring escape and once again calls his vast orbital lander to perform a dangerous low-altitude extraction. But what happened next? Was it A, the lander crushes several House Raven Knights on landing, and after extracting Zed partially collapses the remains of Omnis before leaving, thus crippling the Imperial Assault? Or B, Morven Val and Lord Princeps Gravan lead an assault on board the lander as it makes for orbit with Zed, where they confront him before he later escapes through a warp portal. Or C, Lord Princeps Graven is prepared for this old trick of Zed's and has his House Raven Knights concentrate fire on the lander's engines on its approach, crippling it and sending it crashing into Omnis. Just a minute, wasn't this Lord Princeps the one that was killed by Bellicor's birthday cake? <laughs> no, he is the Lord of House Raven and was out crusading when... Um, he, okay. He's the one who's lost his car keys. I mean, the planet. Right. Yeah, he's the one who's lost his planet, yeah. It was Lord Havlorn who was um, his, like, duke or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to go with C, which is the he knew what was going to happen and uh, blew, blew the ship away into a million pieces. I was tempted by that one, but I'm going to go with... Uh... Well, this is a bad guy, isn't it? Yeah. Who's lower with the lander. So he's not going to successfully defeat the Imperial forces. What was the third option? That one. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so either his lander is shot down and crashes, um, or he escapes on the lander, but is pursued <clears throat> by a boarding action, and then he later escapes by a warp portal. Or in his escape, he basically cuts off the Imperials. And trying to pursue him. And B. He, uh, the, the escapes from the warp portal, eventually. Well, Dan is starting to pull ahead because yes. it is indeed the fact that the Knights of House Raven shot it down on its approach. 
So I'm, I'm going to tell you why I went for that one, because I've never heard of Abaddon's second-in-command called that one, and I feel like his name didn't require plot armor. So that's why I chose it, because it just sounded like, ah, random villain B needs killing. Okay, we'll kill him off. He's not in our fluff. Yeah, he does very much have a non-plot armor based death, because... As it's described, the plummeting orbital lander crashes into the superstructure of Omnis and sinks two square miles of the habitat sprawl, sending the Chaos Forces and Akaroth Zed himself into the bottomless depths of Fathom, amidst tons of burning wreckage and debris. And in fact, in the Book of Fire, there's a relic um, which is actually playable on tabletop as being his bionic eyes that have been recovered from his corpse. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, it's like that. What is it like that leech from D&D? Vecna. Uh, However, now we get to my favourite part of the quiz. We get to the very aptly named Round 3 Subroutine Mechanicus Designation Directive Paradigm. AKA the Mechanicus Name Game. <laughs> does it have its own theme tune this round? I feel like this should have its own theme tune. <laughs> it, it does, but it's only binary. <laughs> does it sound like a 56k dial-up tune? That would be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds exactly like loading Manic Minor on a Spectrum. <laughs> So, yes, now that we've sort of covered Bellicor's side quest and what he's been up to, and we've talked about um, Ovenval's um, basic retribution fleet that comes in system and starts clearing up all the heretics um, elsewhere around Charadon, um, the actual battle for Metallica um, in the book is covered in quite a bit of detail. And to be honest, it's a couple of pages spread of basically, um, you know, large scale bolter porn. <laughs> It's just lots of cool combat stuff, but there isn't really a lot of uh, bits of Plop. fun or cool information for you to pull out for the purposes of this, you know, like quiz. But it's a it's a really big in depth um, sort of conflict about how Typhus, you know, begins his assault on the planet and um, sets up his perimeter for his objectives and then tries to force through these, you know, lines of defenses that Heptis Clang has set up and. And it's really in-depth, and there's titans and all sorts, and it's pretty cool like that. I'd advise going reading it, but the sort of standout thing for me was that there's a gorgeous map, the um, basically the main site on Metallica where this conflict occurs, and all the areas dotted around have all got place names uh, as to, like, you know, those regions of um, that continent on Metallica. And... As you can imagine, for a forge world of some prestige such as this, they have very mechanicus sounding names for a lot of these locations. So I felt it was the perfect candidate for a name game round. So it's just one category, and these are all locations on the surface of Metallica. And I want you to tell me whether you think each one of them is either true or false. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So the first one, for example, is simply called the Corona Militarum. Military crown. Um, 
You go first, Dave. Yeah, true. I'm going to go false. It is true. It is actually the sort of like the artificial um, orbital ring around the planet where basically all the military, like basically uh, the space lasers and, you know, the orbital like planetary defences are based. Um, it's quite funny because as part of the, um, <laughs> as part of the invasion, Typhus um, looks for an opportunity to board it, um, like the, the orbital ring itself. And he implants a virus that basically is like a scrap code thing that starts taking over, and he eventually corrupts the whole thing, and then turns all those orbital guns downwards onto the planet. That's cool. Um, but next on our name game list is the Deus Terminus Cordon. Deus Terminus. That does sound like a, a knight or titan-like name. I'm going to go with false. Oh, it could be, though. I'll go with true. That one is false. I made it up. I just I just have this image of James Corden. That's why I didn't think it was... It was just like the deus terminus James Corden is what I thought. Just... Well, funnily enough, um, in the upcoming Octarius book, there is something called the Cordon uh, Impenetrable. Ah, that, yeah, that sounds... So that makes Corden, sense for that. Yeah, Cordon is used in a 40k sense, as well as mm. a uh, 21st century TV show host sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, next up we have the Enlightenment Through Artifice Spaceport. <laughs> Trust me, these are just going to get more and more ridiculous as we go along. True. False. It is in fact true. <laughs> oh, is that true? It's a real place on Metallica. Enlightenment through artifice spaceport. <laughs> I love your creative use of the word real place. <laughs> 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 I can I can hear the frustration now coming through. I can hear it's subtly there, but I can it's seeping through, isn't it? It's it's, it's... a bit. I'm sorry. Yeah. If, if, if enlightenment through artifice spaceport is true, then so is um, enragement through 40k quiz. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I responded like that when I got it right, Dan. <laughs> Well, next, <laughs> next we've got Clang's Ascension Spaceport. Now, isn't Clang a, a comedy character on BBC Three? He is oh. also a fabricator general of Fortral Metallica. Uh, is that true? Is that true? That is true. That's we it. know that from the last quiz. That, yeah, it's oh. his fabricator general Heptus Clang. He is the Ford. He is the fabricator general. Heptus Clang. That's. A name. Is that the one that's the size of an Astraeus battle tank? Yes, he is. And what's the name of the place oh. again? Say the, say the name of the place again. Clang's Ascension Spaceport. Oh, it's so out there. It's got to be true. I'm going with true. I'm going to agree with Dan on this one. I also think it's true. It is, in fact, false. I made it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have... The Ironclad Expanse. 
I said mix a lot. <laughs> False. <laughs> I think it's true. It is true. <laughs> It is essentially the sort of like landfill of Metallica, where they just dump all the expended servitors. The ironclad expanse. And it's a mountain of dead servitors. <laughs> uh, the landfill of, yes, pretty much. <laughs> this one beats Bell can go and put him on a heap. <laughs> Are we talking about Dan or the servitors? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I just like the idea that there's just a big, a big pit with servitors just walking around in circles saying random stuff, <laughs> just sort of going beep, boop, fax machine. Well, Would you like a water, sir? Ooh, turmeric. Uh, just, <laughs> just, I guess it's I guess it's a little bit like that scene in iRobot with all yeah. the defunct robots in the shipping containers. Oh, uh, yeah. The ironclad expanse. How can a, an expanse be ironclad? I don't it's understand. it's covered in iron. But, but... The... It's expansive, and there's a lot of iron. <laughs> but, uh... well, let's see what you make of this next one, then. Is this one true or false? Data Cathedrum of the Omnisire Risen. Oh, that sounds... Uh, that sounds 40k. I mean... I, I, I do think that sounds very 40k. I think I'm going to have to go true. I, I was going to go true. Yeah, says. I was going to go true. You are correct. It is true. Does that sound a little more justified than the Ironclad Expanse? Even though yeah, I mean, I mean, the Ironclad Expanse sounds just knock off forty k. That just, it's just, it's just. It's just well, I can tell you, getting into some of the the really fun names now. So next, we've got the Sanctified Data Reliquary of Arkan Land. Oh, well, I'm why going... would that be how? Why would that be away from Mars? I'm going with true on that one. Wasn't didn't land? Uh, let's generously use the word live. Mars. <laughs> no, uh, I'm going with true. False. It is false. I can tell uh, you that yes, Arkham Land is an actual, obviously historical character from 40k. Land Vader, Land Speeder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you read, just as a quick um, aside, if you read the great works of Belisarius Cool, there are some fantastic callbacks to him. Um, I think it's that one some where he gets uh, callbacks. Well, yeah, he gets he gets annoyed about the fact that people can't understand that it's named after him and not. <laughs> It's really, really <laughs> funny. It's a nice little. It's almost as good as the um, the callback to Goldilocks and the Three Bears, which is also in that book. Um, I'm not kidding. It it talks about where planets live, 
and where planets should be and it talks about uh, an ursus major an ursus minor and an ursus and they had this breakfast and the planets i'm not joking it's in the book it's it's fantastic um and it talks about how planets have got to be in the right space otherwise they're too hot or too cold they've just got to be well, that, just that's right. a real physics thing yeah it's great yeah, i love it it's called the um, it's called the goldilocks, the goldilocks yeah. belt isn't it but it's it with it being forty K'd up, it just sounds amazing. Yeah, I know um I once listened to an audio drama where um it's like during the events of the heresy and Malkador's got a special task force that are basically going and recovering lots of significant cultural relics, you know, to preserve them to make sure it doesn't get destroyed. And um there's one point where he's leading this like military guy who's got the stuff for him through this vault of um ancient Terran relics. And um, it doesn't say it, but it's like it's heavily implied that Mo, um, the guy inquires about a book on a plinth, and he's like, oh, "What's that? What what could possibly be so significant about that book?" And um, Malcolm says, "Ah, that little thing. That has been responsible for more death and bloodshed and conflict than you could possibly imagine. Possibly anything else ever created by humanity." Ninth edition. <laughs> Fifth edition. Fifth edition. Yeah, like it's it's heavily implied that it's a copy of the Bible. That's cool. <laughs> like one of the few remaining ones. But yes. Um speaking of biblical stuff and saints, um our next name game option is Saint Faximilus's the Replicators Data Canyon. <laughs> Only an Ultra Rains Blue movie. Would you like me to read that one again, Dan? Because <laughs> it'll break me. The Data Canyon. <laughs> I, know, I, bet the, I bet the listeners are glad that I put an audio limiter on these filters. <laughs> Uh, would you like to see my data canyon? Yes, of course. Uh, that's got to be true. I just want it to be true. I want it to be false. False. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but that probably means it's true. False. And Daniel going true? I'll go true because I and I really hope it is. I can tell you that the data canyon is indeed true. Yes! Saint Simulus the Replicator's Data Canyon uh, as penned upon the map of Fordral Metallica. Wow. Where where do you want where where are we going tonight, dear? Oh we're going to the Data Canyon. <laughs> I'm actually crying. <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad you're enjoying it. I am too. I, I loved coming up with this name game round. <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, next up, we've got a little bit of a simpler one. We have the Binaric Sanctum. Uh, yeah, that's just simple 4K, non-inventive stuff. Yes, why not? I'm going to go through false. 
It is false. That is one yes. that I made up. <laughs> it's too nice. simple. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dave, Data Canyon. I, I, come on. Just, just, just. I'll do some scenery conversion. <laughs> Data Canyon. I'll get some expanding foam and carve it to the right <laughs> shape. No, it's got to be made out of microchips. <laughs> 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 or, or, chips or, or is it some sort of like Excel spreadsheet in the form of a canyon? I don't. <laughs> uh, I think, I think the implication is it's meant to be like a server farm, that sort of right. idea. Oh, okay. And obviously, like, there's the two significant large walls of all the server banks. Priesthood of Mars doesn't do spreadsheets, but when they do, they're the size of a canyon. <laughs> I'm trying to paint. I can't paint with this. <laughs> it's too funny. I'm, I'm painting a power sword. <laughs> trying to get it Can you imagine if some of the listeners are currently trying to do some painting and this just keeps saying them off as well? <laughs> right, I'm, I'm ready. I'm good. Right. Oh dear. <coughs> Next up, mm. we've got the Prime Motive Force Genitorum. I'm going to go with True for that one because that's been referenced a lot lately in the later fiction, the Prime Motive Force stuff. They seem to be using that phrase a lot. So I'm going to go with Let's True. Go with False, just to be contrary. It's a good plan, Dave, because it is indeed false. And yes, oh, it is a true. It is, a, right, though, it is yeah. a true and commonly used term. Is the motive force? It's part of the holy trinity of the Omnisire. Yeah, but that does not mean there is a prime motive force genitorum on Metallica. In this instance, or as we call it in twenty-first century, Van de Graaff generator. <laughs> or a right then, yeah. let's. Let's see how you handle this next one. This is our penultimate. Oh, no, no, I, I'm alien. actually putting stuff down. Right, okay. This is the Agraptus Vong Memorial Munitionary Manufactorum. Agraptus Vong. I'm sure he was in Star Wars Clone Wars, wasn't he? Can you say it again faster three times? <laughs> a Graptospun Memorial Munitionary Manufactorum. A Graptospun Memorial Munitionary Manufactorum. A Graptospun Memorial Munitionary Manufactorum. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. I'm going with true. False. It is true, yes. <laughs> the Graptospun Memorial Munitionary Manufactorum is basically a bullet factory. <laughs> Oh, for crying out loud. Do you know what that sounds like? You ever seen bed... What, is it bed knobs and broomsticks? Yeah, I have seen oh, the Queen is something That's what it is. It's a, it's a spell from bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, to round out the subroutine Mechanicus designation directive paradigm round, we have St. Bouline's Precogitator Augury. Ordery. Augury. Augury. A-U-G. Augury. Say that one again. St. Bouline's Precogitator Augury. 
I mean, it's pretty, pretty pre, close to Boolean. Pre-cogitator, so before computers. It sounds like you've made that up as yeah, an alternative. I'm going to get made up. Difference engine. Yeah, I'm going to make. I'm saying made it up. It might not be Tony that's made it up. You don't believe True. it might be a pre-Terran artifact? I think it's false. True. It is false. Yes, I made that one up. <laughs> and that is the last of the name game round questions. And yes, I did make up about half of them in the end hand, but um, the ones that are true are somewhat ridiculously true, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, the, yeah. the 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 takeaway from the evening is the data canyon. I just just that tickled me more than it should have done. Um, I I, I don't know what to say. I just my God, <laughs> just just my goodness me. Wow. Well, I think with that, it's about right time to move on to our fourth and final round, simply known as the aftermath. So this now is effectively the last bits of the the book, sort of tying up the outcome of the Siege of Metallica and the uh, Imperial Reclamation of the Sector. So, question 15. At the climax of the invasion of Forge World Metallica, Typhus is forced to commit to an all-or-nothing assault to succeed in his Plaguebringer offensive. While risking death and further grievous injury to himself, Typhus is ultimately able to penetrate the Sanctorum Primaris and deliver the Nemesis Worm. But where precisely does Typhus implant the plague? Is it A? The Data Canyon. <laughs> the Data Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's a good thing I didn't pick the Data Canyon to be uh, one of the locations for this, but no. Uh, I did. Like, get your worm off my Arkenland. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole handclad expanse out there you could have picked. <laughs> so, your actual options are A directly into Metallica's primary cogitator banks and data vaults. <laughs> B, directly into the new spheric upload data tethers. Or C, directly into the heart of fabricator General Heptus Clang himself. Now we established last time we did this quiz that he doesn't have a heart. He has three bits of spine and some remnants of brain tissue. Indeed. Or, or is the heart metaphorical heart, or is that a literal heart? Also, quite possibly. Oh, I was, I was kind of going with a clue there, but all right. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with the. Oh, I want to go with Clang because I just like saying Clang. I'm gonna go with Clang. I'm gonna say yeah, the new say. The new, the new, new spheric tethers don't quite sound right either. Uh, what was the other option that's not tethers and not clang? <laughs> the primary cogitator banks and data vaults. 
Yes, let's go with that. No, I don't know. Uh, I think he's probably Clang. You both going Clang? Because that's, that's like the denouement of a, you know, he's got the narrative. Yeah, in it. that's the sort uh, of ha-ha. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, can clang. tell you, you are both right. Mm. And yes, Dave, it is a figurative heart because he uh. does not have a biological one. But that is the description as written in the book. He delivers it directly into the heart of Fabricator General Heptus Clang. In that he basically USB plugs <laughs> this techno virus <laughs> into his um, mechanical form. It's uh, it's the one move we never had on Street Fighter was plugging in a USB stick. Do you think he gets like? Do you think when he does it, he has to like go through a series of options? Sort of click here, download this. Oh, I'm afraid you haven't. You need this patch. <laughs> The first time he inserts it, it doesn't fit, and then he has to turn it upside down and try again. Turn it upside down and try again. <laughs> it the first time. Do you think Typhus gets a little pop-up that's just like a little rusty clip that says, I see you're trying to infect Heptus Clang. Can I help with <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> so, yeah, um... Again, another sort of big narrative takeaway from this is that Typhus succeeds in his, you know, siege of Metallica. He does, in fact, infect um, Metallica with this, you know, ridiculous Nurgle plague, the Nemesis worm. Um, and in fact, our next question is: It took thousands of hours of painstaking exorcisms and purgations over sixty-three days to finally purge the prime industrial cluster. And with much lamentation, the rad saturation of the now horrific remains of Heptus Clang, obliterating all trace of his physical form. However, what happened exactly seven days after the corruption was finally purged? Was it A, a datageist of the now corrupted and tortured Heptus Clang possessed a warlord titan and rampaged across the prime industrial sector? B. The Nemesis Plague returned, erupting anew across Metallica. Or C. Metallica suffered a catastrophic collapse of the new sphere, severing the Forge World's connection with the rest of the Mechanicus and the Holy Conduit of the Omnissiah's will. Oh, I think that one. <clears throat> I think that one. That sounds like a very nurgly thing to do. I, th I think the data geist. So we went for the the tortured data ghost of Clang returning and um, Nurgle cutting off the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think. Mind you, Nurgle cutting off the Wi-Fi. That sounds more like a Bellacore thing, because again, it's not really chaotic. It's just irritating. It's because they only did it for sixty-three <laughs> days. If they'd done it for sixty-four days, they'd have been. Uh you know, a power two number and they'd have been a much better save. Well, obviously, interestingly, 63 days is nine times seven. True. True. And then it, um, this event occurred seven days later, which would have been 70 days since the infection. I, I still think cutting off the Wi-Fi, that's... <laughs> for Wi-Fi and yeah. data ghost. Well... I can tell you, you are both wrong. It is, in fact, that after the 63 days of purgation, 
seven days later, the Nemesis Worm Plague returned and erupted anew across Metallica. What does it do? Does it do anything fun? <clears throat> so, basically, it it's mass like techno virus that you know both massively like corrupts machinery and spreads scrap code but it also massively like bloats or any biological matter so Ooh. like servitors would just be you know bloating up into basically giant um, monstrous sort of like plague machines and heptus clang himself despite the fact that we know he only had a few slivers of brain matter and a couple of vertebrae left he himself became a massed withering mass of like you know um mutated um, flesh and bubos and all sorts and basically yeah just um, just imagine you know fleshy protrusions just bursting from machines and tentacles and all sorts of cthulhu-esque nerglish things that's cool yeah, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have bombed all the imperial planets land the last quiz <laughs> yeah it's pretty much his comeuppance wasn't it so yeah it happened again after they thought they got rid of it. So then, our next question is, after the plague was purged a second time, what happened exactly seven days later? Was it A, an outbreak of the walking pox turned all of the servitors on Metallica into a living plague of machine poxwalker hybrids? B, warp rifts opened once more in the prime industrial cluster, vomiting forth hordes of Nurgle demons? Or C, the Nemesis Worm Plague returned again. That one. That one. The worm Plague. Worm plague. <laughs> yes, it is. That was a little bit of a give me question, a give me question because uh, that's exactly, basically, the whole premise of this plague that uh, Typhus has uh, inflicted upon Metallica is that they can't get rid of it. Every time they do, it comes back again seven days later. And again, and again, and again. And gradually, the Metallican priesthood grasped the full extent of the damage Tybus had done to their world. Metallica's death would be slow and agonising. And that's legitimately what's happened. Like, Metallica is now effectively in the grips of slowly turning into a demon world, and they can't do anything about it. Nice. And again, that's huge. This is Metallica. It's one of the founding Forge worlds of, like, again, an entirely playable faction in the game. Could you imagine if, you know, this had happened to McCrag <laughs> or Baal you, or... You're talking to someone who's plays an army that their planet doesn't exist anymore, so yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> True. And I play an army whose planets never really existed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess in my case, my my planet's now Armageddon, even though it used to be Ulmanor. <laughs> we'll get it back one day. Um, so yeah, and then finally, our last question of the night. Uh, so after Morven Val basically appeared with her vanguard force, eventually the main bulk of the Indomitus Crusade that was you know heading for Metallic, uh, heading for Charidon, got there. You know this you know, large crusading imperial force designed to reclaim parts of the you know imperium and the galaxy after the events of the um, noctress atrina and the birthing of the um great rift 
how did the recently arrived elements of the Indomitus Crusade respond to the state of the now devastated Charidon sector? Did they A. Uh, arrive with vital supplies and reinforcements and set about the task of rebuilding the Charidon sector and restoring the ravaged Imperial military presence? B. They left a handful of reinforcements to help and then moved on in search of Imperial sectors they could actually help bolster. Or C. They swore a vow of vengeance and launched reclamation crusades in search of a cure for the Nemesis Worm and for the lost world of Colossi. I think they left them a handful of troops and said, you're on your own, pal. <laughs> I I think that they went, ooh, we're really annoyed, let's go and find the planet. I think. <clears throat> well, I can tell you that the last point goes to Dave. Because Yay. yes, they did show up and basically, ugh, well. A bit much for us. Yeah. Can't really do much about this mess, can we? Um, here, have a couple of reinforcements. Uh, bye. We're going to go do something where we can actually help out. Wow. He basically showed up and uh, just decided it was a, a lost cause. It's because they turned around and went, how's that data canyon going for you? Well. <laughs> Once he got the nemesis worm in it, it was never the same again. It was a continent-sized scar. <laughs> Uh. Um, which does mean that after that the final score by my count is 14 points to Dan and 12 to Dave yes well played Dan yes which means yep. it was close and uh, there were a couple of times where you kept switching positions who was in the lead but in the end Dan has come out on top of the data canyon <laughs> Well, I just, I just, I, I want to go to the data canyon. Really, that's, that's all I want to do. I want to see what it's like. Just, um, I mean, funnily enough, there was one sort of last tidbit of information um, at the end of it, all sort of just to round it off. But it wasn't really so much of a question I could make out of it, so I just thought I'd include it here as a, a last fun fact. Now it is long since the departure of Typhus from the Charidon sector, and rumours have begun to surface of a shadowy and fractured world deep within the Imperium Nihilus. A vast world shrouded in darkness, with continent-sized landmasses hanging in the world's skies, held tethered by giant chains larger than Imperial battleships. Crowned by a colossal fortress city of wailing souls, and home to a host of Chaos Knights calling themselves House Corvax, who serve an unknowable and shadowy master. But not Bellacor. But not Bellacor, honest. Oh, <laughs> well, he's not unknowable, is he? Because we know him. They're saying that Bellacor has um, taken the world to somewhere in the Imperium Nihilus and it is now more or less a, a Chaos Knight household world um, that owes its fealty to Bellacor. That's kind of cool. It is. Uh, I don't know if this house Corvax existed before this book, or if it's one of the pre-existing Chaos Knight households, and this is just some law for them now, but I'm really looking forward to when we're first going to have our actual Warzone set within the Imperium Nihilus. Because since the release of 9th edition, they've not done that yet. They've, 
they've done nothing in Nihilus, and that was the thing I was most interested in, which is... I'm guessing it'll probably be whichever Warzone features Battle. I think when they go to Nihilus, I reckon they're going to go to Battle and basically do a whole thing with the Blood Angels. Is Octarius in Nihilus? No, Octarius is actually in the Segmentum Ultimate. Or the Ultimate Segmentum. Um, So we're still in Sanctus, which is uh, why I'm hoping maybe after Octarius we might see our first Nihilus and Warzone, which would be great. But yeah, that's basically everything for Warzone Charadon. It's been a good, fun six months, pretty much. We started with Rust and we finished with a Data Canyon. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure uh... we'll have as much fun doing this again when we get to um, Warzone Octarius and instead I get to play some sort of name game, probably with orky weaponry and inventions. That, or... Yeah. Possibly, I wouldn't be surprised if the orcs have given some inventive names to particularly tough and infamous bugs that they had to fight when battling the Tyranids. We'll have to see. But in either case, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it definitely sounds like you two have had fun with it tonight as well, especially Dan. I, I'm I'm sorry for listeners' ears when I go forward, but I, I just... The names are great. Thank you for creating the twist, Tony. Yep. No problem. I'll, uh, we'll see if we can get you uh, back for another one, Dave. Is it going to become a tradition that we drag you through one of these every time? Yeah, make sure that all the regular crew come on and beat me in these quizzes. <laughs> so yeah, um, that is most of everything for tonight. So just before we head out, shall we quickly go over our community spotlights? We've got a few little um, names we want to drop and people want to shout out so um how about uh, i've heard apparently dave's got something special for us so dave do you want to start yeah it's something that uh, actually dan here put me on to um a shop i uh, visited recently in great yarmouth called uh, norfolk board games war games and collectibles and it's one of those little hobbit hole type shops where um you, you know it's a game shop and you you're expecting that but it's it's laid out now, I took my youngest daughter there, and she said, Dad, it's it's like your room is, but it's all neatly laid out on shelves. <laughs> and it's just got lots and lots of second-hand miniatures, not all, a lot of 40K, mostly uh, Warhammer, uh, one kind or another. A uh, little bit of old Hammer stuff in there, but not uniquely. There was uh, Bolt Action and other figures there. So if you're ever in Great Yarmouth, um, definitely worth popping into uh, see Neil in Norfolk board games, war games and collectibles uh, in the back streets there and uh, pick up uh, the, some interesting miniatures that, that you need to round out your collection. A very interesting second-hand uh, miniature shop. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if it, like I said, it sounds like Dave's man cave, but for sale and neatly organised, then yeah, I'm sure that is a sight to see. It's, it's uh, yes, anybody who, if you search for Norfolk Board Games and War Games and Collectibles, they've got a Facebook page and he, he regularly posts up pictures of, of new stuff and there are some pictures of, of the shells uh, in there and it's um, it's a sight to behold. It's amazing. It is, you've been there as well, right? Now. Yeah, 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 I just, I found it by accident and it's just amazing. Is it like an Aladdin's cave of wargaming yeah. stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll um, obviously I'll put a link in the description, like I always do, so you should just be able to find it on there if um, you ever find yourself in Great Yarmouth. <laughs> and um, Dan, how about yourself? 
I have been following on the old Instagrams um, a chap who uh, this is more artwork based, um, but he's called. Mc Oh, I can't pronounce his name. Miguel Iglesias, and he does a lot of the portrait art for. Um, uh, he did some Primark portraits, but uh, some of his artwork's actually been in the latest Thousand Suns book on the inside covers with all the strength. He's just got such an interesting style. It's very sort of. Um, it's all digital stuff, but he he. It's just very very lifelike and very sort of haunting. A lot of the images are quite haunting. Uh, so he's worth checking out. Yeah, I've seen um, some of the stuff he does, and yeah, it's it's great, isn't it? It's um, it, it it's got like a very it, it's just characterful images, but not in like a not a cartoony way or a caricatured way, just in like you see a very sort of haunting and almost. Yeah, they um, they remind me a lot of um sort of. Old old schools, old school, old style um, Tudor esque type paints. You know, sort of are they at, not out frescoes? That's eating outside. <laughs> what are they called? Frescoes? Fres I can't remember the just just fresco. Fresco, yeah, out frescoes outside. Uh, for, yeah, for, uh, fresco type stuff, which is really nice. So yes, yeah, I recommend it, giving his stuff a look. It's definitely the kind of things you could imagine being used to portray like a sense of gravitas to the characters. Particularly in the case of like you know the Primarchs and such, it's a, some good stuff. Yeah, and then finally for myself, um, I want to recommend um, the Beyond the Tabletop account um, on Instagram. So that's just at Beyond the Tabletop, um, and it's actually one of the co-hosts from the uh, Lookout Sir 40k podcast. But it's um, it's Philip's uh, just hobby, you know, channel really, where you know posts all the projects he's working on and um, I regularly just keep seeing him post things that are just really interesting so he's um he's currently working on like a Minotaur's Primaris force as like his main 40k army but he's also been dabbling in a bunch of um sort of like Blanchitsu Blanchitsu styles of converting and modelling he's been working on some uh, Thunder Warriors he's been converting up and all sorts of stuff recently which look really cool um, and he's also currently trying to put together a first edition Space Orcs army. So uh, maybe Dave, you might have some any suggestions for particular models to look out for, because I know he's trying to amass a, a, a small Space Orc force. Yeah, no, there's some very interesting models out there. Sometimes they don't go as, as expensively as the Space Marine models, because they're not quite as popular, but they really should be. They really should be. Uh, yeah, I've been enjoying his stuff, so go check him out on Instagram. Um, and I think that is about everything for tonight. So, as we, you know, say goodbye to Charadon, and we, and we personally say hello again to Dan. We hope you've enjoyed being back on the show. Oh, it's been I I haven't had a laugh like this in a very long time. So yes, yes, I have. <laughs> Good. Um, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Just being able to come on and chat for um, 40k, probably in not quite the way you were expecting it was going to go at the start of the night. But I'm sure you've enjoyed it nonetheless. Oh yes, definitely. You know, only on the Narrative Wargamer podcast do you get this kind of uh, engagement with Mechanicus talk. No, no stratagems and OP tournament results here. No, here we talk about iron expanses and data canyons. Stop it! <laughs> I'm gonna go again. Malachor <laughs> jumping out of a birthday cake. Uh... Stretching knights. Indeed. 
<sighs> but yes, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargiver podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40k.